Oh, there in the glorious sunshine down in the Shire yesterday, there was never any doubt after the events of Saturday night, having mentioned last week whether Scott Morrison would either be at home sulking, licking his wounds, or there celebrating an election victory on Sunday afternoon as the Sharks took on the Sea Eagles. Well, there he was yesterday, uh, the Miracle Man, as he dubbed himself after coming from the clouds, to use a sporting term. Um, If you go back to when he replaced Malcolm Turnbull as Prime Minister, he was a million to one to win an election here in May. But there he is on the front of all the papers today around the country, beer in hand, maybe channelling Bob Hawke, a little hawky in a beer moment at a sporting event with his black, white and blue scarf waving in the air. He was just always going to be there, wasn't he? Hi, everybody. Lara <laughs> Pitt, Matty Russell and myself, Warren Smith, on You Can Take Me Now. I've seen it all to take you through the weekend of rugby league and that was the final game of the weekend. And while the Sharks didn't win for ScoMo, he had a pretty good weekend himself, didn't he? Whether you're Liberal, Labor, Greens or Palmer United, God forbid, was... Palmer hopefully, United! Hopefully... <laughs> Uh, Stop it. You, you can celebrate the fact that the Aussie Prime Minister loves getting to the footy uh, less than 24 hours after an immense day, flies the scarf, has a beer and enjoys the footy, Lara. Rugby league, having the Prime Minister at Shark Park, as we still call it, fantastic. Didn't enjoy it, though, did he? No. He, <laughs> they needed to put him on. He's the comeback king. <laughs> if he went on at 5-8, the Sharks win that game was. Yeah, I don't know about his speed <laughs> off the mark, to tell you the truth. Um, he strikes me more as a, a, a labouring middle forward, yeah. potentially. Um, it, but he was into it. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were, you know, making a little bit of a comeback at one point. He was on out of his seat, barking instructions and screaming from the, the Peter Burns stand over there on, the, uh, on the, the Leeds club side of the field. So he was enjoying the action uh, with his daughters beside him and no doubt about 3,000 security types or making sure that the... Uh, in, in, well, Where would that continue- happen in the world, though? Because he's just amongst it with the fans. No, that's great. That's the element of it that yeah. is so rare. Yeah. Just to be... Uh, yeah, Joe Blow sitting beside him. Well, you know, Joe security talking into his thumb, perhaps. <laughs> I not about like Joe it. Blow. I was closely looking at it. That's the that's the chairman of the Sharks next. Do you know him as a tester? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so and then it's just all lovely families. They must have been from, you know, the wider angle, of course. Like. Sure. But uh, anyway, he <laughs> had a good afternoon. Uh, and, you know, I don't think the Sharks' uh, loss could dampen his spirits. No. Given what happened on uh, Saturday night. Lara's been cursing ScoMo this morning, was, well, because, because he I cost got, you a couple of footy games, didn't he? I got robbed of my Super Saturday because we had we channel surfing <laughs> watching the election unfold. It was quite entertaining, You need to two TVs. We have two, but, you know, the main one in the house, the the big screen. uh, And, you know, it was quite, for someone who can't say they follow politics as closely as... As uh, my my husband, um, I was. It was quite interesting to watch the drama of it unfold. I was sitting up on Saturday night in Mudgee doing some prep, actually watching the election coverage and being entertained. But I thought Ben Fordman won the election because uh, his coverage for Channel Nine. I saw Ben left, right, and centre did a fantastic job, and then I realised no, Scamo was actually the man who's won the election. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the coverage was uh, giving me. Great entertainment on Saturday night. Yeah. I was up in Townsville and I overheard a couple of conversations while I was having a bit of lunch before I went out to the game between the Cowboys and the Eels um, for the 5.30 game on Saturday. And uh, I can tell you the mood up there certainly was uh, behind the, uh, the Liberal National Party. I don't know how many... It'd be fascinating to know um, yeah, what Clive Palmer's voting uh, was up there in that sort of part of the world because he owes a lot of people a lot of money who, but mm. who used to work for him in various refineries and stuff. And I can't imagine how anybody 
voted for Clive Palmer. It looks like he's not going to get into the Senate. He's, he's out. Is that right? Clive, Clive's not going to get back in? I think he spent about 80 mil was. So that's 80 a million. fair return on investment. Well, that's about what he owes. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the commentators were saying on Saturday night. Take the 80 you tried to get elected and give it back to the employees who've been dudded. Disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. And I'm, talk some rugby league soon. <laughs> and I'm not going to get political apart from this. I think it's tremendous that he will not be part of the Australian Senate on a federal level. That is just disgraceful what he did and what uh, he subjected everybody to over the past couple of months. So, Clive, <laughs> good written. Suck it, baby. Righto. Get the boot. <laughs> let's move on. Let's see his disgraceful person. Uh, let's move on <laughs> to some rugby league. And, Mudgy, let's begin in Mudgy because you were there, Maddie, Larry, you were watching on intently, of course. And it was, I mean, the, the Dragons have sort of plateaued and then come off the other side of the mountain having won four games straight after a slow start of the season, they looked like they got their stuff back together. But, boy, things are unravelled there yesterday. And you just couldn't escape the fact that off the back of the Jack DeBellin decision, um, the no-fault stand-down policy was upheld in the eyes of the court um, and the NRL a victory there for their stance that they've taken on their ability to stand players down it was where they see fit. And there's some guidelines that we went through back. And Jack DeBellin certainly falls with the charge that he's facing, falls into that category. But you just couldn't... You couldn't escape the the feeling that what happened on Friday certainly had to play a part in the Dragons' performance there yesterday. Was there any sense of that at the ground? Was there any talk of that at the ground at Mudgee yesterday? Not much talk was. It was just the fact that the majority of the ground was filled with Dragon supporters. And then the team started in such a flat, quiet way that then the fans had no reason to get excited and it was a little bit eerie that this um, country celebration that was there on paper that was set to unfold didn't. It was basically a Newcastle show. They had the energy, the urgency, the form, the intensity. They, they were. It was a one-sided game, obviously, as the scoreline indicated at 38-0. And a discussion will be along Newcastle and what they're doing and, and, and what they could do in the weeks ahead, including the next game against the Roosters. But back to your question... Uh, I think it has to be mm. a fact that how else do you explain the fact that the Dragons had lost three straight coming into that game? It was it was a big game for the Dragons. It's a home game for the Dragons. They have the promotion. Well, I bumped into some of them on Saturday night. They enjoyed their time out there. They said they were ready to fire. The coaching staff didn't see that performance coming except for one excuse, and that has to be that they thought Jack DeBellin was going to win that uh, court case that the no-fault stand-down policy was going to be thrown out and therefore that they'd have him on deck. Now, his presence in the game mightn't have changed the game, but uh, his presence in a team that thinks that he has been hard done by might have changed their mindset. Well, what was the talk that you were hearing leading into Friday? Because out of Dragon's camp, they were told by their league representatives that they were very, very much going to be successful. And really? Yeah, and that Jack was going to be available and, if possible, would, would have played in Mudgee. So he is the most popular, one of the most popular players in the team. Right. So when everyone gets on that plane to Mudgee on Friday, they all think when they get off they're going to have some good news for their mate. This is not playing down the, the charge that he's up against, but this is just talking about it from the team's perspective. Uh, and then they hear this news. So I I know for a fact it was a fact of for their for them this weekend it's not an excuse by any means on on their performance uh in terms of they won't be proud of what they dished up but for sure that has 
had an impact on them this and weekend. I, I suppose you need to really uh, extend that discussion that the Dragons believe there is another side to the story that ultimately we'll see uh, Jack um, exonerated for, for a, a life forward and that they can't understand, therefore, why if that is going to happen, they believe way down the track, why he's going to be made to sit out for up to two years. Well, Paul McGregor was asked about it in the press conference and he was very blunt in his answer and said, at our club, we believe in the presumption of innocence until proven otherwise. So I think that it's a bigger topic around players and how they are going to be treated going forward if they um, have a, a serious charge against them. And perhaps they're not happy for their mate, yes, but also for the fact that this is now set in stone that a player is never going to be given that that shot, um, even if there is no judgment and we say all of those things, they're they're not going to be allowed to do their day job. And there, are, I think, a lot of players, not even at the Dragons, but at other clubs, are probably not happy about that. And there is another side to this argument. They are professional athletes. They were facing a big game. They in the eyes of many, should be able to overcome the disappointment of having an off-field event go against them and be able to get up and perform at the best level they can at a level that could have challenged Newcastle. They were nowhere near even challenging Newcastle. So I can understand why some Dragons fans will say, don't give me excuses. You'd lost three in a row. This was a big game. As professional athletes, it's your job to get up and perform much, much, much better well, than you did against Newcastle. And that's a fine point to take if, you know, sport and life is lived and played in a vacuum and there's no emotions involved. And But that's not the case. We know that. Mm. And there are decisions that, and things that happen which affect us from a day-to-day basis with our families, with our jobs, and that's exactly what happens to players. So, you know, to think that, you know, if they were affected by that decision and disappointed and, you know, their emotions were high as a result, then it's completely understandable they went out and played as they did. I just want to go back to your um, point, Lara, about, you know, the Dragons being confident about winning that injunction or, or, or that case. I wasn't in the hearing room, but, you know, the reports that came out and, and the quotes from Jack DeBellin's representative, his counsel um, in in this case against the NRL stance, I mean, he, he was talking about, um, you know, controversy can be good for the game and that Jack wasn't given sufficient training in various areas uh, in his time as a rugby league player by the NRL, which I both thought were just astounding comments to make as, as somebody, you know, defending somebody's um, position in this in this case or putting forward their position in, the, in trying to sue the NRL. I thought they were both bizarre comments to make. And I, if, I thought if that's the basis, if that's the nuts and bolts of his argument, boy, he hasn't got much to stand on. Surely they had to bring something more to the case. And again, I wasn't in the room. I didn't hear any of the evidence only going by reports and the quotes that were attributed to counsel in those reports in the papers in the days afterwards. I just thought, I don't, my point was, I thought, gee, he's going to be long odds to win. That, that's what from, as a neutral, just watching, I, I didn't give him much of a chance to tell you the truth. Mm. Well, and that is, honestly, that's where the NRL stood on it. They, mm. So their information, of course, was that they were shut down uh, closed the case, they were going to be successful. And um, what I found interesting was the reaction from the NRL. Of course, they're not going to say, come out and have a celebration about this. You know, that that's what um, Peter Beattie came on Fox League straight afterwards and said, you know, this isn't a time to celebrate. But at the end of the day, they would have been high-fiving in the back in the back rooms because if this had, if this had gone the other way for them, it would have been a complete and utter disaster for him, for the, for the game, 
to to have had this whole thing get turned on its head. So, yep. yes, they said the right thing, but I'm 100% sure they were hugely relieved that that the court ruled in yeah. their favour. And we make no judgement as to what will happen down the track with uh, Jack DeBell in regards to his case yep. and, and no opinion, no comment on it. But just from the pure point of the contractual um, situation and the NRL's ability to now stand down players and backed up by the court in this situation, and it could be challenged again down the track, but, you know... Um, First time around, um, no result for Jack DeBellin and the Dragons. It would be curious for anybody else to try and challenge it down the track, but that sort of avenue is certainly available to them. Um, but at the end of the day, they were terrible, and I don't. I, at the end of the day, they were terrible on the field. Yeah. But just to the point of the NRL's ability to stand players down, I know for a fact, in my contract, there is a clause and a paragraph, and this might well this would be true in any number mm. of workplaces around the country. Um, in various situations where you are a high-profile representative of a certain organisation, whether it be in the media or a sporting club or a bank or whatever it is, I know if I was charged in the same vein with the same situation that Jack DeBellin's been charged in, I would have been out of a job immediately. Mm. And I've checked. I know, not that I'm worried, but I know that clause is there in my contract. And that would be true, again, of like any number of people in very visible, high-profile situations. And unfortunately, Jack is a high-profile, very visible representative of a sport and a club and a brand. And we know brand can be a dirty word when talking about sport, but... You know, there were some high-profile people went to court and said this has really damaged the brand and has the potential to continue to damage the brand should Jack be able to play. That was the basis of the NRL's opinion and that's uh, what's been, you know, um, proven as far as the court is concerned for the time being. So um, we'll see what happens down the track with Jack DeBellin. As I said, we make no comment, no opinion, um, no thoughts as to that at all and we'll let that play out. But, uh, you know, the Dragons are going to have to move on very quickly because they've now lost four in a row and uh, things are getting pretty serious pretty quickly as we approach the mid part of the season. And you're calling the next game on Sunday in Wollongong was Dragons against Cronulla, a derby and big consequences for both teams. So that's a big game. But can we jump back to Newcastle and their performance? I want to concentrate on Mitchell Pearce for a moment because... I watched his game against Parramatta at the start of this four-game winning streak. He was outstanding, and I interviewed him afterwards and asked him, where did that performance come from? And the competitor in him just oozed out, I hate losing. I don't like seeing Nathan Brown being criticised and being talked about as being sacked. This team is better of what we've, than what we've been showing. Look at the fans up there. We can't keep losing in front of them. He was just a competitor speaking passionately. And impressively. And he's gone on with the job now. So he scored four tries this season, but is joint leader in the league for try assists, 13. Uh, he's kicking supremely. He is winning the 50-50 battles for the ball. As was said by Greg Alexander and Blocker Roach yesterday, he is just such a competitor. And he is a key, maybe the key factor for this winning month for Newcastle. The question has to be asked. Should he be New South Wales number seven? We've been there, we've done that, I know. But should it has, his form means that we have to ask that question and that selectors are derelict in their duty if they don't ask themselves. Should Mitchell Pearce be selected for New South Wales again? Because if he is the competitor that Blocker and Brandy say he is, if he is in the form that he is in, if he is the best New South Wales halfback now and has been for a month and plays a blinder again on Friday night against the Roosters, why shouldn't Mitchell Pearce be given another crack at shaking that origin monkey off his back? 
I'm going to just say no. (laughs) (laughs) The big build-up. Okay, I'm sorry, Maddie. All I'm going to say is if I'm, I'm putting myself in a Newcastle fan's set of boots right now and I feel like they have just come out from a horrible start to the year. They've finally just started playing well. Yes, it's four wins in a row. Let's see it keep going. Let's see them build something mm. in Newcastle. And I know that's we all talk about origin and I felt like all weekend there was so much origin talk because we're getting closer and closer. But at the end of the day, comp, you're... you're your club, and, and he has had a rough old time since he's been mm. in Newcastle, right? Ever since he left the Roosters, he was injured last year, he's had a shocking start, they've finally come in good, and then all you have to do is play four good games, three good games, and you're straight back into the Origin Arena. He'll be gone again for a month. Mm. Who knows what that could do to his confidence again because who knows what kind of series it could be. Whether, I mean, he said he wants to get back there. It's still... On his bucket yeah. list, it's still something that he absolutely would want to turn around and be able to say that he was part of a, a team that won the series and he got disgraced and kicked out and all that sort of stuff. So he wants to get back there. But I we, we have seen people uh, described as having to play one good game yeah. to retain their origin jumper. It all boils down to this game. So if it can come down to one, if he plays a good game on Friday, that's five games. And now Cleary might well be the New South Wales halfback long term still. But if he's out of form, as he clearly is, yes. so then, why wouldn't you go back for one year to a proven performer who has over five weeks found some of his best form? I think it was Blocker who said, who knows Mitchell Pearce very, very well, said he's in career best form. So if he's in career best form and he's already played Origin... But how many people are in career best form? Let's why go to the Rabbitohs. Go Rabbitohs well, are the same. Are the who same are the contenders? Form. I suppose Luke Keary is sticking his hand up. Cody Walker, Adam Reynolds. There are three really, really good candidates right there. Mm. Of course, Reynolds has played Origin. Uh, Cleary, uh, Keary They've got has their played hook, Origin. Hooker, their hooker is Damien Cook, who will be there. So That's the right. combinations are there. And was raised a point about Cody Walker. He could not be doing any more was. Yeah, we were talking before we uh, press record and, and, I mean, Cody Walker, I mean, his form, the ball just bounces for him at the moment, doesn't it? He's just got the ball on a string. He's got the world on a string, <laughs> yes. to quote I, the great Frank Sinatra. I, and <laughs> anything, anything he touches at the moment turns to gold. He's ju- it's just all happening for him. And I think you ignore players in that sort of form at your peril and maybe to that point, that includes Mitchell Pearce, who suddenly also seems to have the ball... On a string, it'd be a hell of a story, wouldn't it? Imagine if Mitchell Pearce comes back after everything, all the drama, all the tears uh, of those Origin Series losses to Queensland, remembering they were playing the best rugby league team potentially we've ever seen. We've had Cameron Smith and Cooper Cronk and Greg Inglis and Billy Slater, and he just reel them off. And And, and he's not playing. He's not playing any of them now, is he? If he comes back, so. You know, there's, it's a great story. And if he comes out and slays them, has a great game against the Roosters this weekend, well, it, it, you know. It, well, I'm not saying he has to be there. What I'm saying is yeah, I'm, am, I'm amazed how he's not more in the discussion, in the conversation. Well, I, I wouldn't pick my New South Wales 6 and 7 until after this weekend. I loved Wayne Bennett's press conference from the weekend. It was my favourite thing that um, unfolded. I missed the game because of the Sky, bloody election, so I had to listen <laughs> to the press conference, but I always oh, do. Wayne Bennett was hilarious, as usual, shelling out advice, or actually unusually shelling out advice for New South Wales because he keeps getting asked now that he's coaching a New South Wales team and there's lots of Blues potential players in his team, he keeps getting asked. And finally he cracked and he did a seven-minute press conference. And if you know Wayne Bennett, they're normally three minutes post-game. So... He basically just put a 
big red texter through Nathan Cleary and uh, James Maloney and said, you cannot pick them. They're not playing well. Their team is not playing well and they're, you know, you have to pick form players. Everyone jumped on board and then said, oh, Wayne's saying that they have to pick his players. He actually wasn't saying that. He was just saying, yes, my players are actually playing in a good team. Mm-hmm. I've got, you've got the hooker in my team. Mm. They combine well. You know, he wasn't, he's like, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do in terms of who to pick. I'm just saying in origin, I know a little bit about it. I coach seven series. So I think you need to pick players that are playing with confidence. I also remember now that it took me a while to, to let the penny drop on, on Cleary last year when he got picked – he missed like eight games to begin the season because of that knee. Was it the knee, the knee injury that he picked up really early in the season? Yeah. And he and everyone was already declaring that he, after a couple of games, he was going to be in the halves and then he did this injury and, oh, no, his origin dream is yeah. over. Got back and proved his fitness just in time. Just played in time. a blinder yeah. on but his return. So he played one game. And so all of a sudden he became mm. anointed as the, the forever number seven for the Blues. Guess what? He's just played every game to start this se- this season and they've had a shocker. Who's to say he would have had a ripper start to last year? We will never know. Do you know what I mean? So yep. he was picked on potential and now it's unfortunately unravelling for him and for Penrith and he, I'm sure he would say, I mean, you never say, hello, Freddie, please don't pick me. But what will that do to his his confidence if he plays, doesn't play well? And and they lose a series. It raises a question. If Brad Fittler rings Nathan Cleary and says, let's just have a chat about origin, do you think Nathan would say, Freddie, I'm I'm really not comfortable that my game is at a level to deliver at the origin theatre at the moment, so I'd prefer not to be I picked? I feel like he said two weeks ago, I wouldn't pick me. That, that's the public comment. Like yeah. You can understand yeah. him saying that publicly to try yeah. and not get ahead of himself. But do you think in a private conversation, Nathan would say to Freddie, mate, I'm not where I need to be, and rather than really crueling myself going forward, sit me out until I find some form? No, nah, no chance. I don't know anybody who would do that. Because, because I, Honestly, the, I mean, I would, be surpri- I would be really surprised if that was the case because... You know, when you're young and you're bulletproof and you're out there playing in the NRL, yeah, sure, they've, they're two and eight, the Panthers, mm. to start the season. I but don't I don't know anybody who would say, I don't want to play in a really good footy team and if you put me in that really good footy team, I wouldn't deliver. You, I, you'd say the opposite. If you put me amongst those blokes and we have a really good camp and I'm, you know, while, yeah, we've been losing, but, you know, the kickings are okay and there are bits and pieces of my game where, yeah, I'm sure I've been down, but... You know, that's infectious. What's happening at Penrith is just infectious at the moment. And his dad, the coach, has no clue, mm. no idea as to why it's happening. So, I, you know, I put that, put a Redfield pen through that idea for mine. I, mm. Nathan Clear, if you rang him up today, he'd say, mate, what time do I have to be there? Okay. The vibe I got on that sideline on Friday is one I've never felt before at a team. You've been there when teams get thrashed, but this was the lowest of the low. I mean, I was at Suncorp for Magic Round and they were pretty dumbfounded. Ivan was like, oh, yeah, I've got no answers to the questions. But this was way beyond. I don't think they think they can rescue anything from this season. Because your James Tamo interview was telling, wasn't it? James Tamo spent about three minutes with his jaw on the floor on on an interview on full-time on the field, apologising... Arming and ahhing. Arming and ahhing. Not just, because he was... He just said we've got it. He just kept saying we've just got to stick together. And he, but that he could not, he could not say anything else. It was just we've got things, things aren't good. We've just got to stick together. And there was a few people that are around the club that have been around the club on the sideline there working for them for 
20 years and they said they've never felt it this low. Well, there was a try by Ignatius Parsi where the defence greeted him about 10 metres out and he had no right to score a try. And there were two of the littlest Panthers trying to stop him. And there were a couple of bigger Panthers who wanted no part. Well, Viliami Kikau, um, he was playing the next play. The moment they made contact yep. with Ignatius Parsi, his mind, he'd switched off mm. and he, he was, was getting ready deadly. for, you know, play four or tackle five, whatever it was, on the next play. Mm. And he just backs his way to the line and watches Parsi just steamroll his way into the in goal area. It was astounding. I've never seen a piece of defence like it. And I don't know what Ivan Cleary will say about it, but I know what Craig Bellamy would say about it because if you watch Melbourne, and we're talking about Melbourne, and I went on a bit of a spiel last week about why they are so good, it begins with contact. And you've got to make contact. Get involved in the tackle and help somebody stop that man from marching 10 metres to the in goal area. That was, that was the most embarrassing piece of rugby league play I've seen for a number of seasons. I think they'd missed 22 tackles to two at one stage. They finished with more than 40 tackles inside the opposition 20 and were lucky, really lucky to get the two tries they did. So their defence has problems, their attack has problems, clearly their mindset and approach to the... You're right. I don't, I don't know where Ivan starts. And the, and the mindset... But I guarantee you he's awake at night. Yeah. <laughs> more than Brad Arthur. The mindset of Nathan Cleary if you talk about him and where his head is at for origin. He had, you know what rugby league fans are like. They're, you know, they're relentless. They love mm. you when they love you. And when you're playing crap, I mean, they were booing them, the whole team at halftime. They were well and truly booing them at full time. And throughout the game, there were some pretty sharp one-liners coming out of the crowd directed at Nathan Cleary about his pay packet. Right. And, you know, he'd be copying it. He'd be walking around mm. Penrith copying sure. it left, right and centre. Um, and, you know, not fair that it's all on him. It's certainly not, but... They booed at half time. Yep. They left in droves before, yep. well before full time. It, it was a but the, ugly, ugly night for The Penrith. confidence can't be good anyway when you've dropped uh, Dylan Edwards three weeks ago and told him he's not wanted. Dallin Rotenley Zelezniak's been essentially told that he's not wanted. So then you're dropping your internationals and your representative stars and for, for two players who aren't wanted at the club, but they're out there colliding into each other. It's, mm. it's a disaster. Well, well, and, and all the folk, I mean, Josh Mansour got the axe. And sure, Josh probably hasn't been playing his best footy, but he had a shoulder injury earlier in the season, maybe down on confidence, whatever. But you, you sack the winger. It's the old sack the winger. Mm. Well, the, you know, the winger wasn't the problem in the previous five losses and the wingers weren't the problem again. While, you know, young Brian to oh, made a mistake um, in the game, which probably, you know, hurt them. But, you know, there are bigger problems at the Panthers than the wingers. But it... It starts at the middle of the field. I'd say, though, when you look on the other side of the field on Friday night, their back three, we always talk about them, how important they are. They're not, gonna, they're not going to – well, they can win you games, really, because they're the ones that are, if they don't drop the ball, you know, at the beginning of a set, they bring the ball back. And, and often, and I feel like that was a big problem for the Dragons and it's been the last few weeks, is that their, their backs who are bringing the ball up, they're making the same mistakes over and mm. over. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Josh Mansour was the, the problems for the Panthers, but, yeah, I guess the Warriors proved that if you've got a strong back three that start your sets really well, it can, and can really they? give you confidence. Yeah. Roger, two well, of well, us, you know, sorry, beating three or four blokes, and then you've got Mamalo, big thighs, smashing bodies out of the way, then Fusatua. Mm. In the blink of an eye, they're back to halfway and they're two or three tackles into their set. Mm. I mean, you know, quite potentially, uh, as we've said about a couple of teams, Maybe they just aren't the team we thought they were. And we said that about the Eels last week. James Tamo was a big money signing 
from the North Queensland Cowboys and he cried. He left the Cowboys and he cried about leaving North Queensland. He did not want to leave Townsville. Mm. That was a family decision and he came to Penrith and has not been the same player and hasn't been mentioned as far as New South Wales for 18 months. So let's start with a skipper. He's named skipper this year, but he hasn't delivered and he's been getting, he got big money to come to the Panthers. And Tim Grant, God, I love Tim Grant. He's a great fella. But Tim was, a you know, one of those breaking emergency, you know, in situations if you're short on, you know, that's where he was for Ivan Cleary at the Tigers last year. I remember having a conversation with Tim early in the season and he couldn't get a run. He wasn't in the 17 for the West Mm. Tigers. Mm. Not known exactly as a forward powerhouse, the Tigers, in their whole existence as a joint venture. They've never done it with their forward power, have they, the Tigers? And they just haven't done it flat point blank for a number of years, but Tim couldn't get a game there. And so now here he is getting a a starting front rower for the Penrith Panthers in the middle of 2019 when they're under siege. Viliami Kikau, we mentioned that ordinary attempt at tackle, and their bench is Luai, uh, Fumayono, Leota and Cade Ellis. It's a sort of a mix. Like Tyrell Fumayono was a a bit of a, a, again, a breaking emergency type of guy. He can play a role in the centres for you or play on the edge potentially. Moses Leota has been pretty good for a, Mm. a number of seasons now at the Panthers but maybe isn't at his best form. Jerome Luai has been getting cameos at the back end of games. And he got a massive cheer when he came on. And mm. and, and you've got Kate Ellis there as well. It's a, you know, like this, the, the balance of the team looks just right out. Uh, Regan Campbell-Gillard was named in 18. I mean, he, he's a shell of the player that he once was. There's very, very good footy players there who are just down on confidence. And maybe you only need a few new ingredients to, to make it from a – an average team at the moment into back to that potentially very, very good team. But one thing that stands out to me about Penrith, as people start to talk about regenerating the roster, etc., each week when I do my prep, I write down when the current players are contracted to in, in green writing, right? And as I go through Penrith's 2020, 2022, 2023, 2021, 2022, all these 2022s and 2023, I'm thinking this is the most uh, long-term signed team that I can remember doing in the NRL for a long time. That There's not too many off-contract players or at the end of 2020. There are a few, but it's the number of long-term contracts. Mm. So if you're going to rebuild or regenerate that Penrith roster, you are going to have to really manage the books or, or work out a few uh, early exits, which is not easy. Well, and that's exactly where they were six or seven years ago when Phil Gould went there to rebuild the club because they had all these players, Michael Jennings and Luke Lewis and plenty of others who were on big money contracts who probably weren't, you know, they were just a bit too comfortable maybe in their positions and they weren't getting the value out of them for what they were paying them and they all moved on. Mm. And now here we are again, bizarrely, and it's been quite a period this last 12 months with Anthony Griffin and Gus Gould and the way Ivan Cleary was poached. I mean, we've spoken about all of this in the past. I mean... They are at a they are at a loss to know what's the next step. I don't know. I don't know that anybody out there can say to you, "This is the roadmap, and this is how we get ourselves back to being a team that isn't a contender." Just it can you know potentially win a couple of games. I mean, they're at, they're at the lowest ebb they've been at for a long, long time as a club. And they start the next round. They start round eleven at Bank West Stadium against Parramatta. How have the Eels gone in their first couple of outings <laughs> at Bank West? Was well, you know what the Eels will probably come out. And do a job on the Panthers because, boy, you know, when you're playing the team is running last, 
You yeah. should do. You should do a job on them at your brand new stadium. So you've racked up cricket while, scores. While there won't be twenty six, twenty seven thousand there, I wouldn't have thought on a Thursday night. It'll be fascinating to see mm. what the crowd will be for the new stadium on a Thursday night. But the Eels will probably come out and do a nice job on the Panthers, and everybody will say, "See, there's no problem with the Eels." But you know, yeah, just you're as good as your last game, and their mm. last couple of games uh, have been pretty average, haven't they? Yep, yep, indeed. So that's the Panthers and the Knights and the Dragons. What else stood out to you in round 10? What stood out to me is how, I guess, close the Tigers ran the Melbourne Storm Mm. because that was hard to see going down there, and it's a long time ago, last Thursday night, (laughs) but Melbourne again just find a way. uh, They didn't look like winning that game for most of it. Uh, One mistake can be crucial in a game. The Tigers made a mistake. It turned events. Melbourne got a try, got themselves back into it, and then, of course, they score at the death as well to win that one 24-22. Mm. And, um, you, you know, as as good as the Tigers were in that effort, and I guess as below par Melbourne were, which was a real shock how, you know, because they blitzed Parramatta the week before. But, you know, they just find a way, don't they? That's, that's why they have been in three straight grand finals. They are a tough, tough team to beat. I'm watching the last 15 minutes and I'm saying I'm just – I knew they'd come back. The, I just I felt like I was watching that game and I just was like, they're gonna come back here. You just I know that it they the Tigers did so well, but I just wanted to watch the the you know, every second hanging on, waiting for the storm just to, to win it at the end. I don't You've know. called some remarkable storm finishes, was they they snatch a game out of the fire, unlike any other team in recent seasons. Oh, and because they've had the players with the wherewithal to get them across the line, and they've still got a pretty good one, don't they, in a bloke called Smith who plays in the number nine jumper. Um, but, yeah, you know, the one against the Dragons on the Monday night, I guess it was uh, 2014, about mm. five years ago after the siren. They were, <laughs> they were never going to win that game. Yeah. And they found a way to win it. There was some controversy about whether the play the ball was in time before the siren sounded or not. But, you know, they just find ways to win games. And they've played ten and they won eight of them. And they're only one win behind the outright leaders, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, who beat the, the Raiders down there in... Okay, it was tight and it was gripping, but it wasn't a, a great spectacle as far as footy was concerned, was it? Can I jump back to that game in one minute? Three quick stories after being <laughs> sidelined at Melbourne. Firstly... Uh, Pappenhausen and Addo Carr. I asked um, Hoffy Hoffman, Ryan Hoffman, who's fastest? And he said, oh, it's close. Over 20, Pappenhausen easily. Over 100, I think Addo Carr just in front of Pappenhausen. So I want a foot race to decide this because even Ryan Hoffman was undecided who is fastest, but he leant towards Addo Carr over 100. Christian Welch yes. uh, was, if he wasn't crying he was perspiring a lot around the eyes as that knee was blown out. So I was so happy to hear that yeah. Not a knee, Rico. He's good. But the two coaches in the commentary box, uh, they were compulsive viewing in themselves. They looked like they were tossing a coin for their life, each of them. Heads, you walk free. Tails, you get shot. Especially Michael Maguire. He was struggling as he watched his team try and get over the line. Braitha Nasta was challenged by Vossi and I think it was Brandy down there to just look sideways and see Craig Bellamy. And they were only joking, but he did. He looked around the commentary box, which is right beside the home coach's box, just as Craig Bellamy looked back at Braith <laughs> and scared the living daylights out of him. Oh, and at half time, Braith was worried. Can he hear me? Can he hear us? Did he hear you challenge me to look at him? Because he looked straight at me and he nearly killed me with his eyes. So. Well, I reckon yeah, they, they, can, they can hear us because 
So in those situations where it's a simulcast game <laughs> and Channel 9 are calling and we are calling, so we are not in the TV commentary boxes when we call down there in that situation. We are in one of the radio boxes, which is not quite as wide or a similar size, I guess, to the Melbourne Storm coaches box. But I can hear when Craig Bellamy explodes, the crowd, you've got the crowd noise, you've got, I've got headphones on, I've got, you know, people talking, I've got the director talking, I've got the producer talking. I can still hear <laughs> Craig Bellamy when he's at his loudest. And so no doubt when somebody mis- makes a mistake and in comment we go, oh, he's put it down cold, can you believe? Whatever, you know, whatever we say in that moment, I guarantee you they're not wearing headphones next door and there's only a sheet of glass between us and them. Craig Bellamy definitely can hear us. And I discovered that he's listening, I guess, in situations in like that because a long, long time ago when the Bulldogs played at the old, uh, what is now the Sydney Showground out there at Homebush, and remember they were using that as their home yes. ground? Yes, yes. A, a few seasons there back in the, I guess, the mid-2000s, uh, so around about the 04, 05 era. Um uh, and the commentary boxes were very much makeshift, you know, plywood with, you know, the, that sort of uh, uh, noise-reducing yeah, sort of foam stuff on the inside or carpet and whatever else as well, uh, trying to reduce the noise. And so the coach's box of Melbourne was next door and something like that happened and we took a shot of Craig Bellamy in the coach's box right next door to us was just the plywood and a bit of foam between us. And I said, and there's Craig Bellamy blowing up Deluxe. And he turned around and through the wall screamed out, why wouldn't I be blowing up, Warren? <laughs> oh, we need to mic him up. So while the glass is a bit thicker than the plywood at the old show grounded out there at Homebush, uh, I've got no doubt Craig and the crew next door can hear us when we are at a certain That's volume. That's the original Bellamy's Bunker. Bellamy's Bunker was right next door. <laughs> it was instituted some 15 years ago out there at Homebush. So, sorry, I dragged you away from Saturday night, uh, South's Canberra, where I thought the Raiders were impressive and South did what they had to do um, while you were watching the election, yeah, I was Lara, watching it unfold on my, my I, scores. I watched it? with Mr Samahar, a, a crazy South Sydney fan in the Mr. Who? Oriental Hotel. Mr Samahar. Oh. And uh, I forget his first name. G'day if you're listening the or Oriental's hello. Lovely. And um, it was fantastic, Lara. And um, fantastic also. The At the Orient Hotel the, in Mudgee. Yeah. Yeah, the Ori, they Orient. call it. Right. We, we couldn't hear it. We could watch it. And um, watching footy through the eyes of a passionate fan, watching his team and riding every try, every George Burgess penalty and drop ball, I thought I was going to have to duck a schooner flying across the room. <laughs> and, but, of course, when Marwan Horati kept it on his fingertips to score, there were celebrations and... Um, yeah, it was nice watching a fan ride his team from a distance. It was really good. They uh, Back to that point I made about that not being much of a spectacle. It was a pretty dour sort of affair, wasn't it? Mm. It was like it was like a you know rugby union game. Most penalty goals will win at one point there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I thought the Raiders were going to hang on, find a way to hang on. But uh, And given the personnel they're missing with John Bateman and Joey Leilua in particular, a pretty gutsy effort against a, a team who's been playing pretty well. And we were waiting to see, I guess in some ways, the Rabbitohs talking about, you know, looking back at form lines and trying to gauge where teams are at. The Rabbitohs have been playing really well, but they have played, you know, mostly teams now which feature in the bottom of the competition, the bottom eight of the ladder. Um, so that was a pretty good test for the Rabbitohs on the road, especially down there. And um, they came through it pretty well. Um, 
it's still, you know, they've got some big games to come. Mm. They won't play the Roosters again until the end of the regular season. So that one will be, you know, mouth-watering when that uh, confrontation happens. But, uh, you know, they're 9-1. and one. Uh, They're three games away from securing their place in the finals. They'll do that on their ear, quite obviously. And, you know, we've got Rabbitohs, Storm and Roosters as the top three. And then there's a two-win gap, four points on the table between those and... Uh, the Raiders and the, the Seagulls are there also. There's a, there is a gap between the top three and those chasing, isn't there? Incredibly so. And back to your penalty goals discussion was, I know the coaches are the experts, but when you're up 14-0 and you've just had three sets on the opposition line and you elect to take the two rather than going for the six, I can't understand that. Mm. That's what the Warriors did. Even hindsight is perfect, I know, but the Tigers, had they not elected to take one of those successful penalty goals, chance their arm and scored and they finished the game in front. Now, hindsight's perfect, but, yeah, this uh, tendency towards taking the two, it seems to be growing or gathering momentum. Just when you think you got it picked, a coach will say, no, let's, let's keep going with it. And it's gone in phases because two years ago, in 2017, it was all the rage. It just take the two every mm. time. It didn't mm. matter, you know, what the situation was. Teams were just taking the two. And then last year it sort of evolved out of that where teams were tapping it and going a lot more. And it seems like, you know, it's just like the stock market, you know, sentiment rules, you know, above your, above your, yeah. your knowledge. Um, it seems like it's sort of going back towards, God, I've got to take the two. We'll bank the points. Just take the two points and then we'll restart, reset, you know, go from there again. So, and sometimes I think you're right. I think teams, teams would be better off tapping and, and seeing if they can grab four or, and using up some more energy from the opposition inside their own 20. But along those lines, I did see how fraught a decision it is because... In the Melbourne game against West Tigers, Kelly Egan, the assistant sideline, signalled two. Then all of a sudden motion with hands spinning around it. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep going. So they took the lined up for the quick tap and then went back to the two. <laughs> so I assume he's getting the message from Maguire upstairs who's weighing it all up instantaneously and quickly and, and uh, it, quite, quite often it just comes down to a spur-of-the-moment decision, uh, but don't, I don't you reckon... He, I mean, I'm not a coach and I'm not telling them what to do, but the no, feel the feel of the game, the players, don't you think they have a, a better feel for – I know the coach can ultimately send the message down, but if a, if a player – as a fan, if you're out, we are watching your team and you know when you can just feel they've got them on the, on the mm. rack and you're like, why did they just take all the steam? And that was the Warriors against the Panthers on – on Friday yeah. night, there was a. I was like, "Why? They're they're so low. They're so you, you know they're there for the taking. Just back yourselves and and go for it." And the coach sometimes sends it down. I know as a team that was once coached by Wayne Bennett, he he loved doing that. Mm. And the Dragons used to get like howled at because they'd take the two all the mm-hmm. time. And yes, it was a successful thing, but it was boring. It was so boring. <laughs> and as commentators, we have our own motives. We want to see tries scored yeah. and we want to see the attack and the, the excitement level go up a gear. Yeah. And when they take the two, it all of a sudden drops back. So we have our own mm. bias, don't we, in that regard. Yeah. And we don't follow it wanting one team to win, As whereas the coaches, they're, they're channeled. Can I just say on the ladder, I can't believe when I look at it that the Seagulls <laughs> are on the same points as the Raiders. What an effort. I mean, I've spoken about it in the past, saying that the two best wins I saw this season uh, yep. were the Seagulls <laughs> with injuries uh, when Tom Travojevic went down against the Rabbitohs. They haven't and got their... when we... DCE went down yeah. and they were playing Canberra over there at Lotto Land again. They were the two best wins I've seen all season. I, I won't change my opinion on that as well. And then they came out yesterday. They dominated yesterday. I mean, they, they could have won by a bit more. Uh, their defence is fantastic. 
as a defensive perv, they, <laughs> and it's not just it's not just the contact. They just maintain their line really well and the spacing in the line, and nobody nobody comes out of the line to try and solve an issue that doesn't exist and give the opposition a chance to do something they weren't going to do and force their hand and just let one of the, the speedsters make a, a break for a, a hole in the line that's suddenly been presented that shouldn't be there. Mm. They just do lots of small things really well and uh, full credit to the great D Hasler, uh, who I've had, as I said, in the past. I've had issues with Des on a number of um, areas with the way he approaches different things. But Do they play the Titans this week? Uh, the Sea Eagles this weekend, they do play the Gold Coast Titans at 6 o'clock at Lotto Land. I doing a bit of snooping up at Magic Round and I feel like that Daly is pushing to play this weekend. Well, they were... Uh, yeah. Yeah. He but, definitely wanted... He'd circled it because obviously this is the last game before Origins picked. Yeah, he's been listed as rounds 12 to 14 as a possible return, so it would be earlier yeah. than they but were initially thinking. Rehabbing it to the... Crazy out. Well, he's been living night. out of home, yeah. hasn't he? You he's told us. He's back home. No, after Magic Round. He's back round, home. I, I grabbed, how's the, how's the I grabbed him at Magic Round. I said, what doing? You better get home to Vesa. And he's like, I'm going home this week. He just had a whole week, one week at the in-laws, and then he was going back home. We're having a good laugh about it. But, so, yeah, he, it, he got one week of rehab without the kids jumping all over him. Does that mean the cooking situation is back to normal yeah, so in, the, in the Cherry Evans yeah. household? He was out of the moon, but he wasn't, he wasn't limping. So, yeah, he could... He could cook so and, he's the and cook. clean and be and be a good uh, Fantastic. I love the fact that he's yeah. the cook. Please. It's the modern world. Oh, well, absolutely. With it. Absolutely. <laughs> but I, on... I, I almost chopped the finger off the other night. Doing... Look at that. There's a Fox League footy <laughs> idea. MasterChef involving the league. A reality show has got to be miking up Jake Trebojevic for a game. If he's mm. apologising to people after he tackles them and hurts them. No. Apparently. Stop it. Yes. He's too and nice you could, a kid. Of course he is. He's too you nice You could just see it. You could hear him. You could Some see him apologising. Some of his one-on-one tackles. Wow. He does hurt people. <laughs> and he would say sorry, though. He's the nicest, the world's nicest person. They, the Travoyevichs, they are just a, just a great pair, aren't they? Oh. If Manly make the eight, Des Hasler has to be coach of the year. Yes or no? Oh, I can't even, I can't even say that. Oh. Given the injuries, given where right. they were tipped to finish, if they make the eight, uh, does anyone beat Dares for coach of the year? They might take the soft option and give it to the minor premier or, you know, someone who runs second with a great run of victories late in the season. But does anyone yeah, beat... Fair enough, yeah. Does anyone beat Desi? If the current eight, let's go through it. Rabbitohs, does Wayne Bennett get coach of the year? Storm, Craig Probably. Bellamy, Roosters, Trent Robinson, Ricky Stewart's Raiders. Then you've got Des and his Sea Eagles, Brownies, Knights... Uh, Maguire's Tigers and Arthur's Eels. That's the eight. So there are some contenders in there, aren't so there? If, if the Knights do what you predicted at the start of the season and, and make, the, make the top four, well, Nathan Brown should be the coach of the year because he was going to get the sack. That's right. He? Four weeks ago, he was a week away from getting the sack. Hang and now on. Here he is. Hang on. And Rus- they are sitting in sixth position on the ladder. Russell tipped them to finish top four and they're sitting sixth. Here they come. <laughs> Look out. Go the Knights. Hey, Ponga, <laughs> do you reckon the Cowboys are still sitting out there saying, how does Caelan Ponga not play for us anymore? Yes. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's, it's, it's old news now, but I mean, every time I watch Caelan Ponga do what he does, and he was terrific again, obviously, against the Dragons out there at Mudgee yesterday, how does Caelan Ponga not play for the North Queensland Cowboys? And how does Viliami kick out, not play? for the North Queensland Cowboys because if you're looking at, you know, if you're planning for the future at a club and you've got these kids coming through and I guarantee you at every club there should be a, there'll be a whiteboard and there'll be names on the whiteboard and here's our lineup in 2022 and here's our lineup in 2023 and 
surely in all the lineups for the next four, five, six, whatever years, 12 years, 15 years, Kalen Ponga should have been in the number one jumper playing for the North Queensland Cowboys. And it's still... It's mind-boggling how he is not a North Queensland well, cowboy. I know there was talk about personality clashes and and money or whatever else. It doesn't matter because if you're going to break the bank for somebody, you are breaking the bank for Kalen Ponga and you're breaking it for Kale, uh, for Viliami Kick. Yeah, I know that was. But every club in the league would say, why doesn't that player still play with us? Like West Tigers, Ryan Pappenhausen. No, nah, but that's different. What about he was the, the, what Ryan Pappenhausen, when he was coming the through the Stewart ranks, brothers was and... never going to be the next big thing, was he? Well... Kalen Ponga no. was always, always touted as the next big But then you've thing. got salary cap constraints, you've got no, players' no, wishes, no. you've doesn't, got... That doesn't wash. That doesn't wash. You've got lots and lots of factors. You can't lose Kalen Ponga. You could not lose Kalen Ponga. It will haunt, I guarantee you, it yeah. will haunt the Cowboys and will haunt Paul Green for... And here they are, they're making a bit of a run themselves. They've got themselves back in the mix at four and six. But if they go the next three seasons and don't make the top eight or don't aren't really contenders for the title. Every time they turn on the TV and watch Kalen Ponga and watch Viliami kick out, and now I know he had that shocking defensive mistake mm. the other night where he wasn't involved in the tackle, but trust me, every team in the in the comp would drop whatever they could on Viliami kick out and say, come and play for us right now. They should have had, like both they should have had the, the best young forward Queensland. in the game and the best young back in the game were North Queensland mm. Cowboys. They don't have either of them. Can you imagine kick out and Tamalolo in the same team? How good. <laughs> and and put yeah. Kalen Ponga off the back of that. Yeah. Off the back of those two doing what they can do. I mean, mm. seriously. That was that was the next generation. That was the next ten to twelve years for the North Queensland Cowboys once Jonathan Thurston retired. And they don't have either of them and here they are. Came up with a good win against the Eels the other night, but you know, they're not they are a team looking to regenerate with some older forwards at the moment and they haven't got the best young forward in the game. They haven't got the best young back in the game. So that will haunt them what for some time. To could have been. So you're that saying was nasty was that, that the Ponga <laughs> North Queensland exit will haunt the Cowboys like Jonathan Thurston leaving the, the dogs Bulldogs. to go to North Queensland Absolutely. haunted Canterbury. Yep. There you go. Same thing. So they got one. Okay. Can you have <laughs> North Queensland team with Ponga, Kikau, Taumalolo, Michael Morgan... Uh, who else would be on big cash if they were still there? Yeah, no, no, no. You keep the you keep the two guns who are coming through who were the who were the future of the club. You have to. Hello, it, it, you can keep those players if the Roosters can keep the players they've got. Okay, just doing my maths here. We got, are we going to open this no, up? No, but I'm, just saying, I'm up to twenty two and a half that, million. <laughs> what? So would that be as comparable if Latrell left the Roosters? I know he's not the same level. Of, well, sorry. Well, He's Cooper Cronk has just, in the last few minutes, yeah, we as go. we're recording There's this podcast here on Monday morning, Cooper Cronk, uh, no surprise after it was leaked uh, earlier this morning, but I can just tell you while we've been sitting here talking, mm. Cooper Cronk just had word from our erstwhile producer, Phil Pryor, um, that uh, Cooper has announced his retirement. So um, that confirmation just coming through in the last five to ten minutes or so. And um, a very they, they now have a bit more... Money to spend, don't yeah. they? The Roosters next year, and they probably had some of it, you know, um, penciled in for other players or whatever else. But uh, the Trell Mitchell situation uh, just got a bit more interesting with the retirement for next, uh, yeah, at the end of this season of Cooper Cronk. He set the benchmark for professionalism, for halfback play, for leaving a club after so long in his departure speech a few years ago to his retirement speech today. Exemplary, didn't miss a beat, ticked every box, acknowledged. Were you everyone. watching? Just then, I was listening. 
I was listening was as it was happening. For a second. Yeah, I was listening in the other ear. It was fantastic. It really was. And you know what stands out to me about Cooper? It's the long told, often told story about I'm looking here when he started his career and for the first twenty 20- one games of his NRL career is off the bench. Only played one as a halfback. He was used as a centre, as an interchange, multiple positions. It was only after the first season that he found his way into 5-8 until we get up to game 34 of his career. So he made his debut 04. Not until 06 did Craig Bellamy say, you know what, I think he can become a halfback. And he applied himself to kicking and tackling and passing and, and basically just through sheer will made himself into one of the elite halfbacks. And again, you go back to his farewell speech today, his retirement speech. He said, if I'm speaking to any young halfback, I say, you've got to be able to tackle well and kick well. After that, we'll look after the rest. We'll worry about all the skills. If you're willing to work hard, I, I can get you to do whatever you need to do. But if you're not willing to work hard in terms of tackling and have a kicking ability, don't worry about it. And I thought that was really in a way simplistic, but also a great window into what Cooper has had to do and what other young halfbacks uh, might be facing because there's hope for all of them after that. He always says very humbly that he is just very fortunate to have landed at that Storm mm. team under the, one of the best coaches we've ever seen playing alongside two of the greatest players to ever play the game. And he reiterated that um, in, his, in his farewell speech, I guess, today. He says that he's the best third wheel the game has ever seen, obviously playing alongside Cam and Billy. So, yeah, yeah he's that... very understated. He, he just said he's basically, like you said, Matt, he had to work very hard to be the player he is. So maybe that's, that is a nod to the fact that you don't have to be blessed with the natural ability that some of these players he got to play alongside with that they naturally had. He had to work for it. And he, in all of our minds, is just as good. As them, but it didn't. It didn't come without a lot of hard work and sacrifice. And if you look at the Roosters at the moment, and Luke Keary has been absolutely slaying them, hasn't he, with all the try assists and the way he's been just been, you know, dealing on that left hand side of the field, just creating so much for Latrell Mitchell and, and Daniel Tupo on his outside. But on the other side of the field, and in general, just and he is the general, Cooper Cronk has just been playing his role nicely. It hasn't been a starring role by any stretch, but he is the glue. And we saw what he did in the grand final out there on, with one wing. He's just, just the glue, just out there keeping everybody cool, nice and calm, just steering them around the park, getting his kicks in, whether it's take it out of play or find the space or, you know, lob it into the end goal, get a repeat set. Just does what he has to do, no mess, no fuss, and letting him, oh, he's got so many stars around him and he's just, just watching this team around him with Luke Keery shining on one side, Boyd Cordner when he's obviously on deck and they've got so much strike power. And he doesn't have to be a superstar himself, you know, creating try after try after try. Mm. He's got all that. James Tedesco through the middle is, you know, I mean, they've got so much there. So The measure has to be, though, if you take him out of that team and put him in perhaps any of the teams that are struggling right now, the impact that he could have. At Penrith, at the Gold yeah. Coast, at Just, Canterbury. He's a team player. It's not about his individual brilliance. It's about everything he can provide and that composure and, and the experience a fascinating experiment that would be. Oh, well, it would be. Uh, yeah, it would be <laughs> sensational. And uh, likewise, uh, taking Wayne Bennett right now and throwing him into the coach's box at Penrith, where he may have been, if, if I guess Phil Gould um, had his way, um, and or at the Gold Coast Titans. What what difference would a coach make to a struggling club? And I mm. guarantee you, it would be. I reckon it's only a couple of wins a season. I reckon you know, like the Panthers and the Gold Coast improve incrementally, but. You know, by you know, 
five to seven percent under under a particular coach. Yep. You know, you, you can make a difference and win a a coach can make a difference and win a couple of games here and there. Although, having said that, look at the Sea Eagles under Trent Barrett last year. <laughs> for all intents and purposes, contradicting ourselves. Very much the same right squad. And they're six and four after ten games, and Des Hasler has them sitting fifth in the premiership. So maybe my theory about a coach, you know, making a difference but not that great a difference is blown out of the water right there. And was back to Cooper Cronk, his exit this season. Round twenty-five is the final regular season round. Uh, the Roosters with a road game against South Sydney at ANZ Stadium. Their final home game, round twenty-four, is against the Panthers at the Sydney Cricket Ground. So they might talk about Cooper Cronk in those two weekends, and then of course. They're bound for the finals again. So mm-hmm. his final hurrah in the NRL, you'd imagine, will be in a big final, just the way it should be. Maybe the biggest final of them all, that first weekend in October, which is October 6th, I think, this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we talk about um, the Roosters trying to repeat. Well, Cooper Cronk is trying to three-peat because mm. he won the comp in 2017 with the um, Melbourne Storm. He won it last year with the Sydney Roosters, and he's a chance of going you know, back to back to back with two different clubs, which would be incredible. Eight grand finals, five grand final wins. Yeah. That's, you know, go no further. You, you could, I'll be here for half an hour if I read out his accolades, but that's perhaps when your job is to win footy games and win premierships, to go to eight grand finals and be successful in more than half of them. Great performance. Okay. Round 11. Let's take a look at the eight games coming up, the final games before Origin selections. Mm. Round 12 will be a split round with just four games, so the final full round before New South Wales and Queensland go uh, toe-to-toe in game one in a couple of weeks' time. Eels-Panthers on Thursday night, Bankwest Stadium. The Eels, we mentioned they're back at home. Uh, We know what they did to the Tigers out there. We saw what they did to the second half to the Dragons. Uh, at Bankwest Stadium, do they do the same to the Panthers and bounce back from a couple of ordinary defeats? Nodding heads over this side of the desk was. Uh, a few people tipped Penrith to beat the Warriors. I don't reckon anyone is tipping Penrith again until they win a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we said that last week. They're untippable. Yeah. Just, just don't, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, until they Sorry. prove they can win. Friendless. They, yep, so uh, Eels all around for us. Uh, Seagulls and Titans first game on Friday night. Same thing, uh, Manly to win that one against the yep. Titans who... Um, despite having themselves in a pretty good position against the Bulldogs, found a way to lose that one up there for poor old Garth Brennan. Mm, so bad. Manly. Knights and Roosters. Fascinating game, this one at McDonald Jones Stadium. As Lara was saying, Garthland. just enough time now for Mitchell Pearce to force his way back into <laughs> origin. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to roll with the Knights at home in front Ooh. of a huge crowd there. That They'll be up for this. I spoke to Sean Kennedale and Mitchell Pearce straight after the game in... in uh, Mudgy, and they were very aware what game was up next, as are the Knights. And they're back to five and five now, back to 50%. Get set for an upset. Get set for an upset, was. Lara? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's gone with Newcastle no, as well. Mitchell Pierce. You're getting Pierce. to my, my head. And, and, uh, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to say the Roosters can bounce back. Sorry, going to ruin it. Okay. I, I feel like, I do like the emotional side that you've gone with there about, mm. you know, Mitchell playing against his former club. I, I love those storylines, but I think the Roosters, the one thing I will say about the Roosters, I think they're missing Jake Friend a, a hell of a lot. And I think that's going to be a, an ongoing thing for them. Sure. Um, well, we'll see how they fare in this one. Yeah. I'm going to say the Roosters will beat the Knights because I think this will be remember when the Eels early in the season were going okay, then they played the Roosters in round three and the Roosters just swamped them in the second half. Mm. It was pretty tight in the first half and the Eels acquitted themselves well. 
But the class of the Roosters just shone through in the end. They won that one 32 points to 18 at ANZ Stadium. I'm going to say it might be a similar scenario for mine for the Knights. They might go okay in the first half and it might be pretty tight. And you think there's a chance of an upset here. I just think the class of the Roosters will get them home in the second half and they might um, you know, blow that one out towards the back end up there at uh, Newcastle. Saturday, three games on Bundy Rum Super Saturday. Raiders and Cowboys. The great Matt Russell is uh, on the microphone calling this Yes, one. looking forward to seeing the Raiders again because I was mighty impressed by them despite being beaten by uh, South Sydney. I don't know how many players they're set to get back, if any, for this game. I know uh, you called the uh, victory by the Cowboys, but in Canberra, I saw enough from Canberra to suggest the Raiders can win that one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Canberra. I do question whether the two big gun games they've just played in against the Roosters and the Bunnies yeah, may have taken some yeah, for sure. juice out of the tank. But they're home. Um, the Cowboys as well, they're starting to play some decent football. But let's not sit on the fence. I'm going to say Raiders. Yeah, I think the, Raiders, the Raiders at home. Well, if they're the team we think they are, I know they've just lost a couple of games, but two of the, two of the best teams in the competition, um, they beat the Cowboys at home. If they don't beat the Cowboys at home, then maybe they aren't the team that we think they are. But again, missing Bateman and also Leilua. But there's a bit of starch about the Raiders. I, I like them. Uh, and they're certainly a top eight team for mine this season. Uh, the Warriors and the Broncos. Intriguing game, this one. Uh, the Broncos were very good against the Roosters, and we know in the past they've been able to do that in one-off situations, especially at home. Uh, they're under siege, and everyone's talking about, you know, they had a win the week before against the Seagulls, but that was a massive leap um, against the Roosters in, in what the Roosters have done last year and again this year, and it was a great test for the Broncos. They came through it with flying colours, but they've got to back it up and do it. The thing I'll say about the Broncos, and we were talking about their... Um, you know, prospects as far as 2019 were concerned a couple of weeks ago in our third uh, of the way through the season report, our midterm report there. And they were two and six at that stage after eight games. They've won the last two. Their run over the next two and a half to three months is pretty good. They don't really play any of the top teams again now until the back end of the season. They've already played the Roosters twice. They've got a game against Melbourne at the other end of the season and against the Rabbitohs. If they are the team that Anthony Seabold certainly hopes that they are, they could reel off a bunch of wins in that time and win the majority of them. But, again, I want to see them do it over an extended period because we know they can be good in one-off situations and fire up at home when they're under siege. And uh, just, you know, uh, maybe Jake Turpin and uh, Tom Dearden have made, you know, the change yeah. and the, brought the energy to the team that they were missing Um Cody Nicarima will be playing against his old club. Well, he played at his old ground a couple of weeks ago in Magic Round. He'll be playing against his old club. He'll be under yeah, under the cosh this week, won't he? The Broncos have lost three of their last four against the Warriors. And at home, the Mount Smart team has won eight of the last 11. So right? the Warriors with a really good record. And I'm falling in love with that back three. I love the way they start. They said, I'm tipping the Warriors to beat Brisbane. Every time I fall in love with the Warriors, they break my heart. And I think I was on the podcast a few weeks ago going, I'm never tipping them again. But they played Penrith last week, so I had to tip them last week, and that was a good result. And you're sticking with them. But then Brisbane have also been my bogey team this year. Mm. I'd like to think the Broncos have turned a corner and some of their young big front rowers are killing it. Um, and there's it certainly doesn't look like Dearden's a deer in the headlights ever. He finds no. the whole thing non in a nonchalant manner, he approaches it all. So, and likewise with Jay Turpin. Yeah. I mean, he's been a bit of a revelation out of the dummy half. Is it? He's he's confident, takes the line on. Has he ta- takes he's the taken line out on. maybe some of the people that were causing trouble for Seabold behind the scenes? Not trouble as in you know, not 
Yeah, you James know. Roberts. Yeah, just, I don't know, maybe the team's suddenly starting to to all see his vision and to play the way they, they want to and can play together. I don't know. I'm going to tip the Broncos here. So am I. I'm going okay. to take the Broncos to be the Warriors, despite uh, those numbers, Matty, which, uh, and you've got to respect a streak and or a hoodoo or a, a, a good record, as the Seagulls had down there at Shark Park. Mm. I mean, they just kill the Sharks down there over over the, the course of 50-plus um, yeah, years now. I mean, it's incredible how well the Seagulls play at Cronulla. They did it again yesterday. Um, the Rabbitohs and the Tigers, final game at ANZ Stadium on Saturday night out there. Good clash and should be a good crowd. You'd have thought for that one, given the Tigers have shown some pretty good form so far this season. Five wins, five losses to have themselves in the top eight. And the bunny is on top of the ladder. There should be, you know, this is the sort of game you'd expect 30,000 people for. They probably won't get 30,000. But in my mind, when it's two Sydney teams like that in good form, that should always be 30,000 at a stadium that fits Mm. 30,000. Let's hope there's a big crowd for it. Fits 80,000, I think. That well, one, it fits 80,000. <laughs> <laughs> but if it fits 80, you can certainly fit 30 in there. <laughs> That's true. Was. Uh, I'm going with South Sydney just to – because they just keep winning. They just keep winning. And, uh, an upset wouldn't surprise, would it? When I say an upset, a Tigers win wouldn't surprise. No. But uh, I'll go with South Sydney. Yeah, I'm going to go with South Sydney. Be a bit dull there, but yeah. Yep, no, me too. Rabbitohs, <laughs> Rabbitohs will beat the Tigers in that one. On Sunday, the 2 o'clock game is the Bulldogs up against the Storm. The Dogs gave the Storm a bit of a scare earlier in the season down there at Amy Park. Um, they were very good in coming from behind to get the cash against the Gold Coast Titans, but they're playing the Melbourne Storm. This one at Belmore Sports Ground. So does the, uh, you know, the old heartland, the old home ground factor in for the dogs there and they can cause an upset? Remember they played Melbourne there when they the very first returned to Belmore a couple of seasons ago and it was jam-packed and they got up. Josh Reynolds came off the bench and they were singing his name and it was one of the, one of the great Monday night football games we called um, over the course of the 10 years of Monday night footy. I, I still can't see the dogs, though, even at Belmore, Back on the old stomping ground, getting the cash against the storm. No, Melbourne for me was. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna win games here and there. The Bulldogs, Dean Pay said they're just gonna build each week and focus on each game. He's, you know, gonna try the similar game plan, I imagine, to what they did at Amy Park. But I guess this time it's not gonna come as a surprise to the Storm. So it, it's hard to see any anything but a Melbourne victory. Remember, they met in round four this yeah. year. The difference just two points. Yeah, mm, that's right. So Melbourne still. Mm-hmm. Even at Belmore. Yeah, Reese Martin had a kick from out That's wide right. to yep. lock the game up. Uh, final game of the uh, weekend is the Dragons and the Sharks. I'll be down there at Wynn Stadium in Wollongong. You're part of the world. I might even drop into All Good Things yeah, Cafe. Drop in, was, and give me a report. Um, there'll be a. What are the, what are the opening hours on there. Sundays for uh, All Good Things? 7 o'clock until 3.30, was. Oh, well, I'll Perfect definitely for drop in for a little Perfect lunch on the okay. way down. I'll be hungry after a drive. I'll, uh, I'll tell. Chung the chef to whip up something extra special for you. If you're down, um, in, down in that region, uh, All Good Things Cafe, I believe it's pretty good. Yeah. I haven't been yet, Maddie, but I'll make sure I get down there whenever I get to Wollongong next. I joke with my wife that if she can't start making it profitable, I'm going to turn it into a strip joint. <laughs> 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 the, the greasy poles haven't oh, appeared yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, <laughs> this is not going well. 
How can we always get derailed at the end? Is that like one of those Tony Robbins motivational seminars where to improve your business or a partner's business, threaten them that you're going to turn whatever that business is into a strip joint This is Maddie's dream, really. He's just trying to sabotage the family. Wow. That's going to start. She goes, why would you say that? You see that coming, Lara? Guaranteed to make money. Can we get back to the dragons, please? The dragons against Cronulla. If, okay, it's so here's hard a question. Pick, if Corey Norman's back this week, <laughs> he can't. Okay, he's gone. I'm still he's, he's on the pole I'm joints sorry. now. Okay. Oh, it just is bizarre. Um, uh, the dragons and the sharks. Corey Norman could be back this week, perhaps from that okay. face, face injury. Not saying that he would have. I think the dragons win. Do they? Yeah. Keep tipping them though, Maddie, and then. Yeah, no. I, I this think is their they, last chance. Yeah. I think. Uh, They'll it, be humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if, if Norman's back, though, is Jay Field out of the team? Because he's been in a losing well, side. Well, you know what's intriguing best. here, and, and it was raised it. yesterday, Jay Field uh, is a kicker and a very, very good kicker, slotted both yesterday. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden his kicking um, becomes an asset that might keep him in the team. So, uh, you know, there are other players who may be not uh, kicking as well, or not kickers at all, that Paul McGregor has to assess. Well, he said that. He has to, can't keep going with the same thing because they're making the same mistakes that they've been making for the first mm. 10 rounds. So I believe it sounds like, at least from what he's saying, he's going to make some changes. Maybe not in Teams Tuesday, but maybe in the 22 and then some, well, some surprises if on I was, Monday. If I was a club in need of a half, I would be making some inquiries to the Dragons about Jay Field because Corey Norman obviously is their number six for some time. They've got Ben Hunt and Corey Norman signed up for the next whatever seasons. Jay Field is, you know, sort of like, again, the sort of the backup emergency sort of half. If I was the North Queensland Cowboys, and I don't know what their salary cap situation is, I would be making inquiries of the Dragons and saying, any chance we'd have a chat to Jay Field and just sort of sound him out about a move to North Queensland because they're looking for a 5-8. I don't know that, um, you know, Paul Green is completely sold, quite obviously, on Jake Clifford at the moment. He's back um, playing in the Intra Super Premiership when when... when it works out as far as the movement of the teams and that is concerned. Mm. Um, and John Asiata, while I love John Asiata, one of my favourite players, mm. but John Asiata isn't the option, the longer-term option, quite obviously, at six. He doesn't have the – he's got some good ball skills and he can do a bit of kicking as well. And, you know, his skills for a, someone who's essentially a middle forward, mm. uh, sublime, fantastic. But he hasn't got that, that bit of burst of speed to put a defensive line under pressure. And Michael Morgan, I think, is getting swamped by defensive lines as a result and really, you know, sort of not crumbling under the weight of the pressure, but needs a bit of help as something. He needs a, he needs a you know, he needs a Robin to, for his Batman. And um, I reckon Jay Field would make a pretty good Robin up there in, uh, in North Queensland. You know, in a past life in television, I used to have to report on the Dapto Greyhound Racing Club. I used to go to the Dapto Dogs stories and Monique Field was the secretary manager there. And Monique used to bring a young, young blonde-haired child along called Jay Field. Is that right? And uh, so it's great to now watch this little bloke I saw running around at the Dapto Greyhound Racing Club performing for the Dragons. I reckon the Dragons will want to keep Jay Field. I too, too. I think, I think Paul McGregor's been... Impressed with him, and I think he'll find it hard not to keep him in the team. Where does he play, though? I mean, well, he can play fullback. Yeah, sure, but but you know, but let's say Dufty, Norman, and Hunt. You know, if you if you're not going into a season thinking, well, we're going to lose, you, know, you could do, and you need a backup half somewhere. But you know, at some point, push comes to shove. Mm. I'm not sure what I don't even I should have looked up, but I know what Jay Field's contract situation is. But um, I think he's off this year. Well, there you go. So if if the you know you couldn't see. 
if he was going to get an offer from somebody else, it might be a sort of situation where you say, you know what, we're a chance of losing him anyway at the end of the season. He might get a pretty good offer from somebody else. If we could free up some cap space right now, well, they've got two he, he could go to the he could moment. go to the Cowboys, mm. and we could free up some cap space for maybe oh, I don't know Trent Merrin perhaps to come back yeah. and play. I think they've got two spots obviously now, Jack DeBellin, and they already had a another spot left that they'd already been holding on to. So two two positions to fill in the thirty man squad. Mm-hmm. I think that they'll be looking more for obviously an edge back rower, yep, and for an outside back, but. From what I understand, they're not going to be rushing into it because that's what clubs do. They panic. Sure. And that's how Josh Dugan ends up at the Sharks. And mm. you buy an average player for too much. But we've already gone through some of the teams that are struggling that have stupidly signed their players for four or five years and who may want to offload said players. Yep. Um, and I, I imagine those are discussions that Ian Millwood will be having with several player managers over the next few weeks because until June 30 they could, you know, pick up. Yeah, that's why we need a transfer window. There should be yeah. a couple of week transfer window in the middle of the season or, you know, twice during the season, whatever it is, because it would be fascinating. And we have all this chat anyway. Mm. It would be nice to say, okay, it's it's open. You, if you want to swap whatever it is now, let's go. Let's have this window. Mm. And after that, you're done. You can't move move clubs. But um, it's my understanding by June 30 you have to have 30 top-grade players. By June 30, you have to. If you, and they if, did it last year. They had if one Elevating open. someone if, you, if yeah. you haven't got anyone yeah. on the radar. But you've got to have a 30-man squad. You can't sit on 26 or 28. No. You've got to have yeah. 30. And a lot of clubs do that. They stay at 29 until the end and then make a decision if oh, there's just, someone they can grab for the back end of the year. Yeah. and Or elevate or someone elevate. from the yeah. outside the squad. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to tip the Dragons because I just think it's, yeah, tailor-made for, okay, you know, we've been through um, everything in the past couple of weeks. Back at home. Maybe if I stop tipping them, they'll start winning. Because <laughs> they've cost me in the last four weeks. I remember having a conversation with the great M. Gaznia mm-hmm. about the Dragons and their form at times and how they can be pretty ordinary on the road. And Gaz said at one stage, you know, it didn't maybe not in as many words, but he sort of alluded to the fact that, you know, the Dragons were never going to win that game because they were playing at home next week and they were probably saving their best effort for their home fans, whatever else. And I was like, and I sort of, he didn't, like, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing here. But that was the sort of tone the conversation had. One eye to their home games only. I guarantee. Yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I reckon next week uh, down there at the Gong should be a pretty good crowd. Sharks, you know, the, the rivalry. Even though it's not sort of a, a Cogra slash um, Cronulla sort of situation, it's more a Wollongong and Cronulla situation. This one, but um, I reckon there'll be a good crowd, and I think the Dragons will fire up and uh, get their season back. On uh, well, not quite an even keel because they're four and six, but I reckon they'll be five and six after the weekend, and yeah. the, that will mean the Sharks, who are travelling on nicely at that stage, if that's the case, they'll also be five and six and um, look at, on the outside looking in. Of Especially the top was if the Dragons are running south in the second half. Legend has it they love running towards what used to be the old Port Kembla smokestack mm. in the old Illawarra Steelers days. You had to run towards the smokestack in the second half. I'll have to ask Ricky Walker so, about that. He's coming so, on uh, leg life this week. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. So, Are they smokestacks or stripping poles? In no, no, no. They, they can't slide down these ones, Was They're big. They're big. It's been knocked down now. But in the old days, the Steelers love running south. Oh, jeez. Turning the cafe into a strip joint. That is... <laughs> That's uh, the high of I'm not going to get past. It's going to take me a couple of days to get past. I guarantee. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, Matt, Matt Russell, continuing the surprises. <laughs> after he told us a couple of weeks ago, he... 
uh, did his hand in Bali doing yes. a backflip off a table and getting caught up in the netting of some dodgy bar he was at in Cooter or somewhere. The hand's repaired now, was all these years on. Yeah, that's good. Good to hear. Um, bit of a marathon today. We've gone uh, longer than normal. That's but, all right. Uh, I hope you're still with us out there in, um, <laughs> cut it in, in, in podcast land or you make, it, make it a couple of trips. You, the if train you're driving trip, from Mudgee to tr- Sydney, you, was. you'll get it in and you get some more in. Um, and if you're not, you can listen to this on the way home to Savo and then on the way into work tomorrow, however you consume your podcast. I'm a very much a car podcast listener. And if I'm doing the grass, or if I'm out um, mowing the grass and uh, doing the pool at Go home, there. Um, if I'm out there playing pool boy, I put on my fake moustache and the tight shorts and I put a podcast in, gets the job done, no trouble. I listen when I'm oiling the poles, Was <laughs> Oiling oh the poles. My, my goodness, that's enough. That enough. Uh, you really can take me now. I have seen it all. <laughs>